We have watched the Lord work in incredible ways in the book of Acts so far. We've been studying the first five chapters, and we've come to verse 12 of of chapter 5. But in this time, we've seen the Lord send His Holy Spirit to specifically minister, to indwell the believers and minister and empower them and to give them all the strength that they need for what He is building in the church. And, And He's building the church. When God says that he would build his church, he builds his church, and he does. He, we see 3,000 people come to, to Christ there, and then 5,000 men come to Christ, not counting the, the women and children. And the Lord is working, and, and multitudes of people are coming to know Christ on a regular basis. The gospel is going forth in a powerful way, and the Lord is affecting people's hearts. In the beginning of chapter 5, as we looked at last Sunday, you see the Lord working in the saints as well. Working in their lives to where they're giving of funds and giving of themselves and ministering to one another so that nobody within the congregation is in need of anything. They're just caring for one another. They're looking at those that are around them and loving on them and ministering to them and providing for them. You have people selling things and, and giving it so that those that are in need could have their needs taken care of. But you also see sin that's within the church. And we looked at that last Sunday when Ananias and Sapphira are there and they, 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 they sell a possession. They, they sell a piece of land. They say that they're going to give all of it to the church, but they withhold some of the prophets for themselves. Not a bad thing to do as far as giving some of, of, of what they made from the land. The problem was is they wanted people to see them in such a way that, that as, as if they gave it all. And so they said they gave it all. But they didn't. And we see the, the, the seriousness of sin creeping into the church. The seriousness of, of that lying to the Holy Spirit and and. and and saying one thing, but inside something totally different is taking place. In reality, something different is taking place. And we're shocked by the result because what takes place is Ananias comes in and, and we see that they ask him, did you give everything? And he says yes. And they say, you, you lied. You lied specifically, not, not just to men, but to the Holy Spirit. And he dies. They go and they bury him. Three hours later, his wife comes to church. She's late. And, um, and, and we see that she goes along with the same lie. And she dies. It's just radical as far as the seriousness of sin and the way that God deals with it. It's, not, it's, it's, it's something where, where he knows that it needs to be dealt with. He cares about the purity of the church. He cares that, 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 the, that the church isn't, or not, not only is, is growing, but is also that there is holiness that's there. There's purity that there, that's there. That the saints within the church care about these things and care about walking in a way that honors God and not saying one thing or acting in a certain way, but their lives in reality look radically different than what's being put forth. And it tells us there in chapter 5, verse 11, as we closed last week, so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. 
And there's no doubt that great fear came upon all the church. Can you imagine if, if, if someone here just, you know, they came in and were like, oh, you lied, and they die. We go bury them. Wife comes in. You lie too. You're dead. You see them. They're there. They breathe their last. They're gone. Everybody's hearing about this. They're hearing about what's taking place. They're hearing about what's occurring in the church, and great fear comes upon all the church and all that heard these things. Well, now we come to verse 12, and it says in... And, and to preface this, we have a long narrative before us, and I, I didn't want to break it up too much because I think it's important that we see it in its entirety. So we're, a large portion of this morning's service will be narrative here through the rest of this chapter. And through the, the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all in one accord in Solomon's porch. So the apostles are there, and signs and wonders are being done. It says, yet... Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And there's those that are non-Christians that are looking from the outside, and they're the ones that esteem the Christians but are not prepared to join them. The believers, verse 14, were, increasing, were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. There are multitudes of people coming to know Christ believing in the gospel so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of peter passing by might fall on some of them also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to jerusalem bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits and they all were healed and so we find that that great healing is taking place in the church the Lord is establishing the authority of the apostles as far as the same things that Jesus did, the apostles are doing. And he's working mightily through them to where people are being healed all over the place. Whoever comes is being healed. It's a great work of the Holy Spirit at this particular time in the church in which you find people just believing that if we just walk past Peter's shadow, we're going to be healed. And it tells us that they're all healed. All of them are being healed. And so more and more people are believing in the authority of the apostles and in Christ's death and in his resurrection. In verse 17, it says, Then then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. The high priest and that ruling group of elite Elites within Judaism at that time, the Sadducees, they're not watching what's taking place saying, I think we might have been wrong. They're not watching at, at what's taking place and saying, God is doing a radical work here. They're seeing what takes place and it tells us that they're filled with, with indignation. They're angry. They're filled with hatred. They're filled with jealousy of all that's occurring. They're seeing the church and they're seeing it growing. They hear the proclamation of the word and they're seeing multitudes, literally thousands and thousands of people believing in the gospel, believing that Jesus died, believing that he rose again. You can see what's taking place within their hearts where, you know, some people, they frequently will, will say things like, if I could just see great signs, then I would believe. Verses like this, as well as countless other verses in Scripture, and 
experience outside of, of Scripture would tell you that that is just not the case. It's not a matter of if I could only see, I would believe. There is a hardness of heart because of the sin within these people that they hate the gospel, they hate the church, they hate Christ, and they want nothing to do with it. They're filled with indignation. And they laid their hands, verse 18, on the apostles and put them in the common prison. So now the apostles are thrown into prison. They're thrown into prison. And we know that God's hand is on every part of it. You remember in in, in Acts chapter 3 where Peter goes up to the layman and, and says, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And so he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And, and, and there's this great work of, that, 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 that's taking place. Where this man who's 40 years has, has been in this condition is healed. In chapter 4, talking about this, it says that they said, what, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. And from now on, they, uh, that, that, that from now on they speak to no man in his name. And so they called them and commanded them not to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They're saying, we, we will severely threaten you. And they're saying like, whether it's right in your eyes or not, but we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. God's working. He's healing people like this man who was lame for 40 years. Multitudes of people are coming to know Christ and, and, and the apostles are just saying like, you do what you have to do, but if you command us not to speak in the name of Jesus, we can't do that. We will continue to proclaim the gospel. So they are in now continuing to speak the gospel and they're thrown into prison. In verse 19 it says, but at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. God's bigger than all of this. They're thrown into prison, and at night an angel opens the doors of that prison and has all the apostles leave. Now notice what he says. The angel says to them, Go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. I want to camp out here for just a little bit. Go. The angel pulls them, takes them out of prison. Here the angel is there before the apostles, and he gives them very specific instructions. He doesn't say to them, hey guys, this is a close one. You got thrown into jail because you don't know when to shut up. You keep talking. Let's do it more secretively. Let's maybe go into the houses or let's do it in a different way. Let's, let's make it so that you don't get in so much trouble. I'm going to give you a get out of jail free card right now and, and, and you're going to get out of jail. But let's, 
let's cool things down a little bit and, and, and wait or let's go someplace else. Let's do something different. Not at all. The angel brings him out of prison and says, go. I've commanded you now to go. To go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Go with boldness stand where? In the temple, the place where the high priest is, the place where the Sadducees go. Leave this place and go right now to the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. There's boldness that's there. The angel commands them to go. Scripture tells us, Jesus said, you in Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Shine. Take the gospel and shine. Go. Stand in the temple. Do this. We're not to be afraid. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You see in Romans 10 where it says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The angel commands them to go and to speak. Go, stand, speak. I don't, I don't know where you are at in your passion for the proclamation of the gospel. But I pray that for us as a congregation, we would grow in our passion for the proclamation of the gospel. Here these guys have been thrown into prison. The angel busts them out and says, go, stand, speak. Go and proclaim the gospel. I read that last verse, that last section of verses, because it, 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 Paul tells us in Romans, how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. To bring the gospel here and afar is the most beautiful thing that we could ever do. To be able to be those who have a passion to proclaim the good news. You, you may have a, the, the, the thought as, as, as far as like, oh, I'm not gifted in that way or I can't do that or I don't know how to do that. But I, I pray that, that that thinking would change. Maybe we need to grow in our knowledge of how to share the gospel. Maybe we, we're those that are on our knees in prayer. Um, 
I met an older man at my kid's school who I don't, I don't, know, I, I don't know who he is. But I, think, I assume he's a grandfather that brings his kids to, to school. And, and he, he came to me last week and, and just said, like, hey, just so you know, I pray for you every day. And I thought, I don't know your name. I, I don't even know who you are. He's like, I pray for you every day. And so I just thanked him because he, he, he says hi all the time. I need to probably ask him his name. If, if you're here, introduce yourself after. Um, but no, he, he doesn't go to our church. I asked him that. And, but he, he says every day I pray. Having a heart that, that, that prays. Having a heart that looks and says, I, I can't go, but there's people who want to go that maybe can't afford to go. I could be a part of sending them. God's blessed me in that way. I, 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 can, I can be a part of sending them. But for us as a congregation to be passionate about the gospel going forward, here, throughout our state, throughout our country, and even to the uttermost parts of the world. Um, I don't typically do this, but I, I wanted to show you a few slides just to kind of put some teeth on what we're saying. So if you want to bring up the first slide. Look at what this says. It, it, well, you may not be able to. You may not have bionic vision, so I'll read it to you. But the, the, the 1040 window is that section that's right there in red. And it's that part of, of Africa and Europe and Asia. And in that area, there are 4.65 billion people. 90% of the world's poorest population. 45 out of the 50 areas and countries in which is the worst persecution for Christians. In that region, 95% of those people are unevangelized. Think about that area. That's huge, isn't it? That's massive. 95% of the people living in that area, 4.65 billion people are unevangelized. If you look at the next slide, it shows you that there's the world. You have 11,495 people groups, 7.2 billion people. The unreached people groups in there are 6,827 people, 1,000 people groups. 6,827 are unreached. The, the unengaged people groups, meaning like that no one's even really gone there. Unreached means that there's no particular church that's there. There's, there's, there most of the people have never heard the gospel. The unengaged, meaning people have not gone into these regions, 3,250 people groups or quarter of a billion people are the unengaged. And so you look at that within the map on the, the, the next slide, and, and, and you can see the, what's taking place. Now, if you look at that green area, that's the established or significant areas of, of, of Christian people groups, which is radical as far as thinking about the gospel going to the uttermost parts of the world. Uh, there, there's small numbers of Christians in that yellow area, but the red area is the unreached or the least reached people groups. 
And, and I pray that we as a congregation would have a heart to serve in those areas. We've gone and we're, we're planning a trip this upcoming summer to go to Uganda, to northern Uganda, an area that's 98% Muslim, and proclaim the gospel in that area, an area that we've been to dozens of times, I have. But to go back to this area and continue to work alongside the church and to go and proclaim the gospel in this area. There is, is a refugee camp that, that began just outside of Sudan. So the Sudanese people, there's war again in Sudan. Um, and, and just in the last few months, there's been, I, I, I recently read, 270,000 people from South Sudan that have come right near where we're going in Uganda in a refugee camp. Think about that. In just a few months, 270,000 people have gone to this refugee camp. Massive. And these aren't the people that are just eager to get into the United States and are just all blown up about our immigration laws. They don't even know of anything of it. They're just people that are afraid of war. They're being attacked. They're told they're safe haven. That's in Uganda. And so they've walked across the border, 270,000 people, and they're now in Uganda. And my heart is, hey, let's go. Got people like that? Let's go. Let's go and let's proclaim the gospel. And however God gives us opportunity, let's preach the gospel. And watch what God does. God has a passion for these people. You can see the church on the next slide. It's just one of the churches that we've gone into and have been a part of establishing. And you see the people just, they're sitting on the ground. They're there. It's hot. They've built this little mud church, mud walls there with a thatched roof and sticks holding it up. And they sit on the ground. And I preach for a really long time. And they're happy. Um, <laughs> go and do likewise. And, and, you, and you, you, you see them, though, and it's just... God loves these people. They're coming. They hear the gospel, and they're, and they're coming to know Christ in radical ways. The next slide shows you just a group. This is us. I, I was younger there. But you, 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 you see us in the midst of these people, and there's our team from one of our last trips. And, and, uh, and it's awesome to be able to go into regions like that and, and, and proclaim the gospel. To proclaim the gospel. But God has called us to such a mission, and you could turn this off, um, to go and to proclaim the gospel. How beautiful are those feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. This angel, go. Emphatically, go. Stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Notice what he says there as far as go, stand in the temple, specific, speak to all the people. But what does he speak? All the words of this life. Awesome. The, 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 the fact is, is that our Christian life is not simply, okay, believe this, this just, if you say this prayer, you're all good. But the gospel is 
to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But that belief is a radical work of what takes place in your life as the Holy Spirit makes you a new creation in Christ. You are transformed radically to where your sins are removed and, and you're, it's replaced with the very righteousness of Christ. And, and not only that, but he gives you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's working in you and producing fruit that's in your life. And your life is, is radically changed because you're no longer under the law, but you're under grace. Everything's changed for you to where your eternity is going with a surety into, into heaven. And God has gifted you in certain ways. And he tells you whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You're bought with a price. You belong to him. Glorify him. And that's us. It affects every part of our life. It affects the way that husbands love their wives. It affects the way that children obey their parents. It affects the way that that we honor God in the way that we work. And it affects the way that we are with our friends. And it affects the way that we are in our communities. It affects the way in which we live, the way in which we make our decisions. God's word is that which teaches us how it is to live a life that is pleasing to God and all of our hope and all of our faith and all of our trust is in the work of Christ upon the cross, not in ourselves or anything else. And so the angel says, go and tell the people all the words of this life. It affects every part of your life. It's not compartmentalized into certain areas, but it's all of life. The gospel, it affects all of our life. We forgive because we've been forgiven. We love because we've been loved. Our passion is to proclaim the good news. We live so that we would be a light to this world and we don't want to hide it under a bushel. We don't want to take our gifts and bury them in the ground. We want to use them for the furtherance of the kingdom and for the exaltation of Christ that people might see him and know him and love him. He becomes our Lord and our Savior to where we belong to him. We're not our own anymore. And the angel gets this and says, just go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people all the words of this life. Tell them about it all. Tell them how the gospel affects every part of us. And when they heard that, verse 21, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. Did they hear what the angel said and think, well, we've had a long night of being in prison. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe the next day. No, they just go. They're there early in the morning. And they begin to teach. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought But when the officers came and did not find them in prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. That's awesome. I don't know know how it occurred. These guys are still standing in their posts. It tells us the angel opened the doors. The angel took all the apostles and brought them out. They go and they open the doors. This place is secure, but nobody is inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. 
Then the captain went, from, went with the officers and brought them with, without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. So the captain goes with his officers. They bring the apostles back, but they're afraid now. What would happen if, if the people react to us arresting these men again and they stone us, they kill us? So that's what's taking place as far as the Lord is working in incredible ways, but now those that are in charge, those that are religious leaders are afraid. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the, and the high priest asked them saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in, his name, in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. A couple things here in this verse I want to note. First of all, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? Weren't we harsh with you? Didn't we throw you in prison and didn't we strictly command you not to do this? What would take place in your hearts if you were strictly commanded not to proclaim the gospel? Would we think, I can't do that. I I will proclaim the gospel. We live in a culture now in which even the act of proclaiming the gospel or proselytizing is considered to be totally politically incorrect, hateful. I mean, to say that anybody needs Christ is to say that your religion is better than theirs. And so it's a hateful thing to do. It's, it's bigotry. It's something that, that is looked down upon by so many people within our culture. And yet I pray that we would not have our culture determine our doctrine or our lifestyle but that we would have God's word determine our doctrine and the way in which we live. God's word is telling us to go. God's word is telling us to stand. God's word is telling us to speak, and specifically, the gospel. So they say, didn't we not strictly command you not to teach his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. What a statement about what the effect the church is having on is, is having on Jerusalem. Have you not filled Mission Viejo, Lake Forest, Foothill Ranch, Laguna Hills, San Clemente, Lisa Viejo, Irvine, Orange, with this doctrine? You're proclaiming something and and and, and it's having an effect upon everybody. It's Filling our community with your doctrine. If that's what persecution brings, may that be what God does within his church today. Making it so that we would take a stand, knowing that by his sovereign command, he can have an angel just bust us right out of prison if he desires. Open the doors. Let us out. He could do whatever he desires to do because there's nothing that's too hard for the Lord. But a passion that says we will go and stand and speak. They also say, intend to bring this man's blood on us. They're seeing what's taking place and hearing that Christ has risen again from the dead and now empowering the disciples and 
saying, part of what you guys are saying is that his blood's on our hands. But these are the same people that said, give to us Barabbas. Remember that? Crucify Christ. Let his blood be on our hands and on the hands of our children. They had no problem taking upon the guilt when they were saying, crucify him, crucify him. Now they're saying, you intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We're not afraid of you guys. You did strictly command us not to teach in this name, but we ought to obey God rather than men. May that be the way in which we think. When it comes to civil disobedience, when it comes to to going against culture, may we have the mentality that just says we want to obey God rather than men. We desire to please God rather than men. He's given us this great commission to go to the uttermost parts of the world to proclaim the gospel and we will obey God rather than men and we'll do this that's our heart that's our passion we love him we want to proclaim the good news here and abroad and that was what Peter responded with the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree he's risen him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior to give repentance to israel and forgiveness of sins now you remember the angel saying go stand speak now they're before the the sadducees they're before the high priest and and, and what do they respond with they respond with he is our lord We, we will obey him rather than men he was crucified for us he was exalted to the right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance, to give forgiveness of sins. They are nailing the gospel on all sides as far as this is what God has done. This is what God has accomplished. Notice also in 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 that verse where where they had said, the angel had, had said to them, speak to the people all the words of this life. I I think we also have to note that it's not changing the gospel in any way. It's not making the gospel easier to handle, easier to swallow, taking out things like sin, taking out things like hell, taking out things like the only way. But all the words of this life, proclaiming the fullness of the gospel. God help us not to try to improve the gospel. God help us not to be those that change the gospel to a culture that hates the gospel but to have boldness to give them all the words of this life. You see that this is what they're doing. They're going through, you murdered by hanging them on a tree. You did this. But him, God's exalted to the right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins because we all need forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. And then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, and a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles aside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, Take heed to yourselves that you 
what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed were scattered and came to nothing. And after this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. So here's this man, one of them saying, hey, this will all come to nothing if it's not true. These kind of things have happened in the past and they just scattered. But think of, think of that map. Think of the green areas. Has it come to nothing? Absolutely not. God's word's gone to the uttermost parts of this world and continues to be proclaimed. They agreed with him. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So here's the apostles. They're brought to them and they are beaten. They're beaten. So they departed from the presence of the council. Now imagine for you, you've just been imprisoned. Angel got you out. You go to proclaim the gospel again there at the temple. Now you get taken in again. And this time, angel's not there just to let you go easily. You get beaten. You get beaten. And when they say they beat them, you don't get the idea that they kind of just slapped them around a little bit. They beat these guys. They beat them badly. Some might think that you would respond with, like, why, why didn't God, why didn't he keep us from that beating? I mean, he's, last time we sent the angel, last time he made it so we didn't have to go through any of that, why did we get beat this time? What's going on? Notice that that's not how they respond. They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Huh? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ, for the name of Jesus, for his name. I pray that we would trans- have our, our minds transformed to be like this. We've lived in a time in which there's been very little persecution as far as what has occurred worldwide and throughout history. But I pray for us as a congregation that God would work in us to take advantage of this particular time to boldly proclaim the gospel, to go and to stand and to speak. But at the same time, be ready to rejoice if we suffer in the midst of it. I think that any of us who've been alive for um, several decades, you look at those that are 60, 70, 80, 90 plus years old, you've seen 
radical changes that have occurred in the way society has viewed Christians, right? In my lifetime, I'm 44 right now, I've seen radical changes in the way that Christianity is viewed. The way in which they talk about us. The way in which persecution has arisen. And I think it will grow worse. But may we have hearts that rejoice if we're counted worthy to suffer for his name. And they respond daily in the temple, verse 42. Daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They didn't stop. They didn't cease. They continued to proclaim. Jesus had said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Peter had said, Beloved, do not think it's strange, a strange thing concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing's happening to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. For when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. But let a, none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, an evildoer or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. It's thematic throughout Scripture as far as the way in which we are to approach suffering. You may worry sometimes about how you'll respond when the temptation is to flee in the midst of suffering. Corey Ten Boom, who served the Lord during the Holocaust there in Harlem, Amsterdam, her father said to her when she was a younger, young, young girl, Corey, when, when I... When you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket for the train? And she says, why, just before we get on the train. And his response is, exactly. Our wise Father in heaven knows when we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him. When the time of need comes, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. The Lord will give you the ability to have strength even when great persecution is coming your way. But may we begin with going and standing with speaking, knowing that we have the best news that anybody could ever hear. Salvation that comes, not by works, not as a result of our own strength, but as a free gift that comes through faith in Christ who was crucified for us, who rose again from the dead and stands at the very right hand of the Father 
ready to make intercession for us. Your sins removed. Righteousness placed upon your account. The Holy Spirit given. A new creation in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Purchased with a price. The gospel. The best news that anybody could ever hear. Go. Stand. Speak. And let's watch the Lord work in miraculous ways of adding to the church daily. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the text before us. And a lengthy text, but one in which shows your sovereign hand over the church and the way in which you worked, even with over the hearts of the disciples, to bring them to a place of rejoicing after being beaten because of their love for you. willing to suffer for your namesake, joyfully suffering for your namesake. Um, If we've been afraid to proclaim the gospel, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us strength like we've never had before to go and to send people and to pray for missionaries and to minister the gospel to anybody you bring by our paths. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.